This is the Practical Teaching Tips Podcast. I am your host, Richard James Rogers, high school science and chemistry teacher and author of the award-winning book, The Quick Guide to Classroom Management. Hello everybody and welcome to today's edition of the Practical Teaching Tips podcast. I want to to describe some methods today to help exam level students who of course are under tremendous pressure at this moment in time as um, school closures are happening all over the place, exams are cancelled, Schools are having to create um, portfolios of evidence to show to exam boards, and really everything is in a kind of a um, a kind of a position of flux as we get through this um, coronavirus pandemic. But the tips that I'm going to go through today are applicable for students, whether they're in a pandemic or not, because even students who are working from home or studying from home and who um, are not doing their traditional end-of-year exams that might be set by an exam board, many schools out there are still expecting students to do online exams, um, in some cases, um, printed exams. So this advice still applies today, and it's very, very important. And when analysing the the exam-level student, those students who perhaps um, our older students, our, our high school and middle school students, some primary school students as well, and they're preparing for exams. These students have a lot to deal with. You know, forgetting that there's a pandemic, these students already have a lot on their plate. Um, they have to learn the techniques that work for them in terms of revision. They have to become organized in their revision, and and that can often be the most difficult part, especially for students who have part-time jobs or they're having to look after siblings and do child-caring activities um, for students who don't have a stable home life or even just for students who are not very organized and um, don't really know how to avoid distractions. And of course, distractions are everywhere these days, much more so than when I was doing my um, GCSEs over 20 years ago. So becoming organized in revision is a big problem that students face these days, a big challenge. The stress and pressure of having to perform in exams And those exams, those grades, are going to follow the students for the rest of their lives. So they're pretty important, and that can be stressful. That can place a lot of pressure on um, students' shoulders. And nowadays, of course, that pressure has increased. You know, some teachers might think, well, the students don't have exams now because they've been cancelled, so the the pressure is off. But actually... That's not necessarily the case because schools now have to justify the predicted grades they're sending to universities, often by creating a portfolio of evidence or asking students to do extra exams to prove um, that they're worthy of that predicted grade. So this in some ways places 
many students under more pressure than they would be um, under normal times. Um, a lot of students are feeling like they don't know where they stand with regards to um, their predicted grades, their um, their exam performance, how they're going to fare when it comes to getting into university and things like this, um, what their next stage is going to be after um, after their um, IGCSEs or their exams they're doing prior to their pre-university course. So there's a lot going on. And of course, domestic pressures are um, big things that modern day students have to deal with. Expectations from parents these days can often be higher than um, than in previous generations. And nowadays, um, couples are, are putting off having children until later in life, often when their careers are, are very stable. And today's parents tend to expect a lot from their children in terms of in terms of grades and exam performance. Um, and that trend has has been something that's um, been pro- progressing for decades. Um, back even when I was in school, which isn't that long ago, um, you could get an apprenticeship, you could um, you could do an unskilled labor job, I suppose is it, maybe that's not the right word, but a um, you know a, a school leaving job without necessarily having qualifications and you could do that job for quite a good number of years and, and just get by or, or uh, fund yourself through college. But as uh, as industry becomes more and more automated, and of course, this is the old-fashioned argument that's been raging for, for years and years now. But as that happens, and as society becomes more technically um, competent, and as organisations become more sophisticated, as they will do as, as um, computer systems become better, the need for um, school leavers to be skilled and competent just increases and increases. So there's expectations from home, there's expectations from society, and all of this, all of these things are bearing on the shoulders of our um, students as they prepare for exams. But fear not, there are some easy ways in which we can help these students um, in our roles as teachers. And let's not forget, everybody, that we do have a very powerful profound role to play in our students' lives. You might not think it. You might think, for example, that, um, you know, your students have many teachers, if, if you're a high school teacher, for example, and you're just one person in the students' lives. Um, but trust me when I tell you that a teacher's words and a teacher's actions, when genuine and when sincere, can really have a massive impact on the way students see themselves, the decisions they make, their sense of empowerment. Um, And I've seen this and I've seen the effects of this now for over 16 years as a high school teacher myself. So do not underestimate your power as a teacher in terms of helping students to succeed. So let's get straight into my five tips. I've rambled on long enough. I'll have to avoid doing that so much in future episodes. Um, So number one, the first thing we can do to help our students is tell our students what to revise. Now, that sounds like an obvious thing, but it isn't so obvious and it's not done as well as it should be by some teachers, I'm sorry to say. Um, So how can we do this? Well, 
all exam boards have specifications or syllabuses or course guides. And these are usually documents that are aimed at helping teachers deliver the course correctly. But there's no reason why the students can't have access to those syllabuses as well. So we should share those with our students. But we can also um, print those syllabuses, share them on Google Classroom or whatever interface you're using, such as Firefly or Moodle, or just provide the URL and the, the web link to the syllabus if it's available for free online. But another thing you can do, um, and we can do as teachers, is make our syllabuses more student-friendly. And the way to do that is to extract the course content and turn it into a child-friendly revision list for the students to follow when revising. So that can be very, very helpful. And also, along with that, is if your exam does not have a specific syllabus, just coming up with a topic list and giving students enough time to revise those topics can just be a tremendous help. And making sure that that's published online somewhere or the students know about it well in advance of the exam that's coming up. In addition to this, students need to know where they can find the resources that match those topics. So hopefully we all have um, Google Classrooms or online classrooms that are very well organized by topic. And if, if that's not the case, then now is a good time to get that organized so students can navigate to the necessary resources very easily. Now, second tip, tell students how to revise, or I should say show students how to revise. This is probably more challenging than telling students what to revise. Many students require years of experience, actually, to discover their preferred and most efficient style of revision. For me personally, I found that dictating my notes to myself and playing them through my earphones when I lay in bed at night was very effective, but that might not work for everybody. Um, students really need a menu of techniques to try out, but how often do schools actually provide this menu? How often is new technology taken into account? How often are students invited to share their best revision techniques with their peers? Not very often, I would argue. So consider holding a committee meeting style gathering with your exam level students. Sit them together in groups to share their ideas with each other about how to revise for tests and exams. And swap the groups around every three or four times during the session and get the students to write their techniques on the whiteboard at the end or maybe contribute to a Google Doc or a Google Slides or write them on the smart board. Another thing you can do is share what's worked for you personally when revising. Um, also ask your colleagues to come to class and share their experiences. Get parents involved. Make it a community thing. If the group mentality is directed towards exam success, then this will definitely rub off on the students. And I, I do feel personally that many schools do not spend enough time teaching students how to revise and focus too much on what to revise. And, and that's unfortunately um, a disappointment, really. And I think we could do better as a profession on this. 
Thankfully, there's lots of great advice out there about how to revise. Um, but as teachers, we must be proactive in sharing this advice with our students. Some good websites that deal with um, the subject of revision techniques include the Times Higher Educational Supplement. Um, and there's an article I will link in this episode description called Five Revision Techniques to Help You Ace um, the Exam Season. Uh, Birmingham City University has published Five Best Revision Techniques, which is a great um, tool that students can use. Um, Tutorful um, has, has got an article up called Revision Techniques. And Success at School has got a really good one um, called Top Revision Techniques for Exams. And this website actually deals with learning styles, which I know has kind of been debunked by pedagogical research. So don't don't shoot the messenger here, please. But it does contain a very inf a very useful infographic that summarizes the key revision techniques really well. And by the way, guys, can I just say something about learning styles? One thing that annoys me is how educators just jump on the latest bandwagon that is peddled to them by these so-called experts in these ivory towers. Uh, for example, University of London, Oxford, Cambridge, these researchers who are not teaching on a daily basis and who are not on the front lines like we are as teachers. And what I can tell you is, as soon as I heard... As soon as I heard this latest thing that learning styles was a load of nonsense, I, I started to think to myself, really? Let's look into this. And actually, guys, what the current consensus is, and of course it changes all the time, but the current consensus is actually is there's no evidence for the existence of learning styles. Not that they don't exist, that there's no evidence that they exist. Well, I can tell you that after 16 years of teaching high school students full-time, that students do learn in different ways. Now, that's not to say that you can box students into specific learning styles necessarily, but students do learn most efficiently in different ways. And if you really analyse yourself and you analyse your life as a teacher, you'll see that that's true. You'll see that that's true. I have students as a science teacher, for example, who only really understand a concept after they've done an experiment and they've actually played with the chemicals and seen the colour changes. Then everything clicks. I've had students many times in the past who only really start to understand something after they've done lots and lots of past paper questions. I've had students who have to create something to understand something. So they have to take information and create some kind of project, a Google Slides, build a model or something to understand how something actually works. So it's not true that students do not learn in different ways. And I want to make that so clear. And I think these, these educational researchers at these universities, they need to do a really, they need to do a better job of communicating their findings and conclusions to people um, if we're to take them seriously. And I, I was really angry when they came out um, not so long ago to say that learning styles don't exist. Um, and of course, this was watered down and 
was um, passed around the teaching profession as if it was the gospel truth. When, of course, from observation, we all know as teachers that students do actually have their own preferred ways of learning things. And we have to allow our students the creative freedom to explore different techniques and choose what is best for them. Right, little rant over with, I apologise. Number three, what's the third thing we can do to help exam level students? Well, tell our students the bad habits to avoid. So important. And I think, again, as teachers, we too often focus on the good proactive things students should do, such as creating a revision timetable, getting up early in the morning on weekends to revise, using a variety of sources, all these good things, all these positive proactive things. But we're not very good at telling our students the bad habits they must avoid. When students know what to revise and they know how to revise, they often think that they now have every tool in their toolbox and they're ready for action. But this is a delusion. There are negative influences, habits and distractions that can really mess up even the most conscientious of students. And we must warn our learners about them. These bad habits I'm talking about include procrastination, relationships and hormones and sleep. Now let's look at these things. Well, procrastination. When students are revising from home during holidays or study leave time, it can be very, very tempting for students to watch online videos or play computer games more frequently than they should be. And by the way, guys, I mean, forgive me if I'm being patronizing. I, I don't mean to be, but video games these days are not like they were back in the 80s when, um, when I was a kid. You know, they are far more addictive these days and they are designed to get young people hooked and they are designed to get young people spending money, actually, on upgrades, on weapons, on gold, platinum, whatever it is, the currency of the game. They are designed to hook students in. And the computer gaming um, companies, the software developers, they're not being held to account for this. And I think they've got a lot to answer for. But co online computer games are a massive destruction for students. Uh, destruction, massive distraction that causes destruction for students these days. And it's not like when we were kids, um, and if I'm talking to my generation, that is, you know, when I was a kid, to play a computer game, you, I had to have a special computer gaming console that was plugged in, plugged into the TV, had to be set up, and it was an event that happened. Nowadays, you know, kids can sit in their beds at nighttime on their mobile phones playing computer games. So it's a big problem, guys, really big problem. For some students, it's better to get them out of the house and to get them to go somewhere public. So, for example, the school library where they can't sleep and they can't get distracted as easily as they would at home. I know that when I was a student in school, um, I had to go to school and study in the school library or in the public library in my town when I was on study leave from school because I know if I didn't do that, I would sleep at home and I would nap and I would waste time. And that's something we've got to let our students know about, that 
It's a good idea to get out of the house and go somewhere where you can study. For example, the school library. And, you know, schools should also offer classrooms or places within the school where students can come and study when they're on study leave. They shouldn't be closed to students. And that's an obvious, I hope. Now, second distraction, relationships and hormones. The ugly truth of this one has to be revealed to our students. Teenage sweethearts or lovers, um, well, that whole scenario can lead to massive distraction on the run-up to exams. And again, we're not telling our students about this. And I think in large part, it's because it's a delicate issue to deal with as a teacher. But I personally think it's important to talk with individuals who are in teenage relationships, who are in, um, you know, that they've got boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever, and politely remind our students that they have to be focused on their exams at this time and not on whoever their relationship partner is. And I'll leave it there, really. But that's important. And we don't do enough of that in schools, I believe. Sleep. Third big thing that can um, cause problems for students well it's a balancing act really students need to have enough sleep but not too much either during school holidays and study leave many students fall into the habit of waking up late and messing up their sleep cycles um, or circadian rhythms and this can lead to low productivity so I always teach my students the up early and out rule Get up early and go out somewhere where you can, where you physically can't nap or sleep during the day. The school library, a local library, or even a coffee shop can be good options. It's not perfect, I will admit. These places can be noisy. If there's other students there, that can be a distraction. I totally get that. But in many cases, a lot of students who are working from home can find distractions that they wouldn't find otherwise. And of course, we are in the middle of a pandemic as I record this, so it's not easy for students to go out and and study at libraries or coffee shops anymore and things like that. And and I think we've got to take that into consideration. You know, that's that's another challenge that students have these days. And, you know, I certainly have a lot of sympathy for them. It, it's not as easy to just go to a library and study as it, as it was uh, when when I was in school. Um, but these bad habits are so important to highlight because they can destroy our students' chances when they're revising for exams. We have to tell our students the negative behaviours to avoid along with the positive actions to implement. Now, number four, show students how to make a revision timetable. Even the very best students, those that know how to revise, what to revise and what habits to avoid, can get completely best up, can get completely messed up, I apologize, by not being organized. Organization is so important. Now I've got a quote here from Napoleon Hill. Um, he was the author of Think and Grow Rich, quite a famous book. And what he said was, first comes thought then organization of that thought into ideas and plans, and then transformation of those plans into reality. So it's very important that students organize and plan and then follow the plan. Organization actually is the key to exam success. 
students should be starting their revision well in advance of their final exams. So, of course, I'm making this um, episode in May 2021. I understand that many students have already had their exams. Um, some students have got exams coming up. So hopefully this will be a legacy episode that can be repeated in future years. Um, but around five months prior to their final exams works best, really. Just starting that revision process, getting a timetable in place. Um, a lot of students in the British curriculum system um, start their revision in the Easter holidays, so in April. But actually, that's too late. They should be starting around January to prepare for exams that are in May and June. Um, and what they should be doing is subdividing their days into sessions, with each session focusing on a specific topic area. A good revision timetable should include enough sessions to cover each topic twice, a variety of subjects each day, skewed weighting in favour of what the student is weakest at. For, and what I mean by that is more time spent on reviewing weak subjects than reinforcing strong topics. And also practice questions. Very important. Exam style questions and lots of past paper practice for each subject the students are taking. It's very effective. Um, I've actually linked under this episode to a blog post I've written about this. And in that blog post, you will find a video um, writ uh, produced by a student that tells students how to make an exam timetable. It's actually very well made. So I, I encourage you to share that with your students. So the link to the blog post is below this episode. And also the link to the video will be below this episode as well. And the blog post contains a video. Now, the fifth thing that we can do to help our students prepare for exams, this one is so crucial, show the students where to find past papers and which specification they're following. In my work as a science teacher and a home tutor over the past 16 years, I've met too many exam level students who simply do not know the exam board and the exams they're taking, I know, can you believe that? It's true. Even students who are in the final month of preparing for their exams and they don't know what exam board and which exams they're actually taking. They don't know which papers they're taking. I mean, it's the height of disorganisation on the students' part, but it's also a reflection in some ways of neglect on the teachers' part, I'm sorry to say. We've got to tell our students very clearly and repeat it often which exam board and which exams they're taking. And that will reinforce the sense of urgency and importance that comes with the exams as well. And of course, we've got to show the students where to find the past papers. A lot of exam boards, but not all of them, will provide their past papers for free. Uh, so for example, BMAT, which is one of the medical um, entrance examinations and edexcel they share their past papers for free not all of them are for free there's some recent papers which are behind a paywall for example but most are available for free um, if they're not available for free talk to your school about buying some past papers and sharing them with students because they're such 
a good resource, such a good resource. Crucially, this is very important now, encourage your students to complete past papers under timed conditions. For example, if paper one mathematics is one hour long, then make sure your students know that they should time themselves for one hour when doing the past paper at home for revision. Consider the multiple mock exam or MME rule too. Uh, this is kind of an acronym I've made up, but what does it mean? Well, why just have one mock exam? Have you ever thought about this? A lot of schools do this. They just have one mock exam. But actually, what's to say that you shouldn't have multiple mock exams? Why not have two or three? So for my IB chemistry students, for example, when, when there wasn't a pandemic, um, they would have mock exam number two in class um, after their mock exam number one. And they would have mock exam number three in March. And then they'd have their final exams in April or May. So consider doing that. Don't just have one mock exam. Because a lot of students can feel like if they've not done well in that one mock exam, that it's game over and they've lost their chance to prove themselves. Give them multiple chances to, to develop and improve and redeem themselves and to show what they're capable of. Students need that. They need a second chance and they need empowerment. And this MME method, this multiple mock exam method, um, <laughs> that's the acronym that I hope will go viral in my, uh, my delusion as, a, as an influencer, I hope, if I can call myself that. Um, well, this MME method can really help students to get used to the rigor of exams um, and just get used to sitting an exam under timed conditions, actually, so that when the final exam comes up, it's not as intimidating. Um, and it can also get students used to the command terms of the exam as well. Another thing I've not really mentioned today, but very important students know what the words evaluate, describe, compare, state, what these command terms mean. Very, very important that students are aware of that. So, in summary, how do we help exam level students? What are the easiest and most effective ways that we can help our exam level students? Number one, tell the students what to revise. Provide a revision list of topics. Provide the syllabus. Provide the course guide. Number two, show students how to revise. Teach the students about revision techniques. Um, show the students the links that I've suggested. Get students to talk with each other and compare revision techniques. Make methodology of revision part of the school curriculum. Or if that's not possible, at least embed it somehow into your lessons on the run-up to the final exams. Um, number three, tell students the bad habits to avoid. Um, and they tend for teenagers and high school students to be procrastination, hormones and relationships, and bad sleep habits, which is often exacerbated these days by um, computer gaming and playing on smartphones all night. Um, number four, show students how to make a revision timetable so that they can get organized. And number five, Show students where to find past papers. 
and make sure students know which specification or syllabus they're following and where exactly they can find that syllabus and which papers they're going to be taking. Are they going to be taking paper one and paper two or paper one and paper three? Students need to know that information. So thank you everybody. Check out my blog for teachers at richardjamesrogers.com because on there you will find hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of free articles covering a wide variety of teaching topics to do with classroom management, assessment, behavior management, working with parents, all kinds of things. Please check that out. That's richardjamesrogers.com. It is a totally free resource for teachers and it always will be. That's my mission to provide practical teaching tips for everyday educators just like me. If you want to support my work, you can purchase my books for teachers. My most famous book is The Quick Guide to Classroom Management, 45 Secrets That All High School Teachers Need to Know. And it's actually won a few awards. It's won the um, Bronze Medal for Nonfiction from Reader's Favourite. And it's been um, awarded a 9.5 out of 10 um, assessment by UK EdChat. So um, it's a pretty good book. It's in its third edition now. Um, I wrote it six years ago and it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Abe Books, Book Depository and all good retailers. And, and the link to that book is in this um, episode description and it's available as a paperback and as a, a Kindle book. So thank you very, very much, everybody. You can also join my subscribe star page if you're interested in having weekly meetings with me and getting a free ebook and exclusive content. And it's only $5 per month if you're interested in that. So the link to my subscribe star page is also in the episode description. Thank you so much, everybody. Take care, stay safe, enjoy teaching. Until next time, bye-bye.